0: Thank you, Will. And we actually planned that, that if you didn't say good morning, he was going to do that right there. So, so thank you for beating us to the punch. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Um, I'm honored to get to be here on this stage. Um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Ben, what he does each and every single week, how he takes such deep, incredible truths of God. And he makes them so simple and so applicable to us. So I'm honored to get to be up here where he is usually at. And if you were here last week, Pastor Melissa did an incredible job um, talking about the different seasons in the life of Elijah and how God is with us despite whatever season that you're going through. A couple of things I do want to let you know. um, I would probably um, get beat up if I didn't tell you this. There is a softball game this Tuesday at 6.30. And the reason that it's a big deal is because it is four corners, versus four corners. So it's four corners gray, God's team, versus four corners white, the flesh team. And so like, what? I'm just joking. I play on the gray team. So hey, we would love for you to come out this 630, uh, this Tuesday at 630. One of the things I love about our church is we just love to have a good time together. We love to have fun. We love to enjoy um, uh, just the people that God's put around us. So this Tuesday, there's that game. I'd love for you to be there and be a part of it. Um, Every single week, I do want to say this, every single week, Pastor Ben talks about how generous of a church that we are. And I'll be honest, we are a very, very generous church. But I think a lot of times when we hear that word generosity, we kind of just like narrow that down to finances. And finances are definitely a part of generosity, but generosity is more than just one act. Generosity is a lifestyle. And right now, because of your generosity, Pastor Ben and his family have been able to spend two weeks on vacation together. And that is because you guys understand that he is more than just a pastor. You're generous with his time. You're generous with his energy to allow him to go and do that. And, and, and here's why it's important to me, and maybe I have a unique perspective on this. My dad was a pastor, as many of you know. And so for me, here's what I love right now, what your generosity is doing for that family. is Right now, there is a woman named Jill Hodges who is getting her husband's undivided attention for two weeks because of your generosity. There are three boys and a daughter right now who are making memories with their father that they will talk about for the rest of their lives because of your generosity. So church, thank you for being so incredibly generous. Thank you for letting Pastor Ben get to enjoy this time away with this family. We're excited to get him back in. We're missing him. He will be here next week. But thank you so much for being generous and loving on them. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a couple of verses from Second Samuel chapter 21. They have those in your notes. I believe they're going to be on the screen. Some of you have um, hardback Bibles. They still make those, I think. Um, most of you have it on your phone, which is where um, a lot of people use it at Version. But I'm going to read a couple of verses, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. So 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 22, and here's what it says. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbibonab, I practiced that all week. Ishbibonab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels, and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of uh, Zerahai, I didn't practice that one, mistake. Zerahai came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished, verse 18. In the course of time, there was another, another battle with the Philistines at Gob. And at that time, Sibachai the Hushatite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair the Bethelmite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In another battle which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. This had to be a sight to see. He also was descended from Rapha. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. In verse 22, these four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Will you guys pray with me for just a moment? God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your incredible blessings. We thank you for Four Corners. God, just the light that you, uh, that you allow us to be. We thank you for the leadership of Pastor Ben um, and what he does for this church. And God, we just pray for a few moments, God. We would just focus in on you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear words this morning, but God, we would walk out ready to, to take action, that we would take bold steps at the end of this to truly continue to walk in who you've called us to be. God, I pray that you would be with us in all that we do, and we give you thanks, and we give you glory, and we give you honor in your name. Amen. Mm. So, has anybody, um, has anybody ever been tired before? Like, three of you are like, yeah, I'm, is it okay to say I'm tired in church? Like, has anybody ever been tired before? Like, has anybody just been flat out exhausted? Like, like, like I mean, like you are just like, it doesn't matter how much caffeine you take. Like, you are just like, you're done. Like, there's nothing that is going to help me right now. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but whenever you get to that point of exhaustion and that point of tiredness, do you do a lot of really dumb things that you wouldn't normally do? Like, nobody agreed with me right there. Okay, so I'm the only person that when I'm really tired, I say some things I probably should not have said. When I'm really, really tired, I do some things, and when I look back, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Just last week, I was really, really tired, and I was trying to be a great dad, and I was playing on the ground with my little girls, and we were having fun, and we were doing all kinds of great stuff, and the next thing I know, I I had fallen asleep. What a great father. You're there to take care of two 18-month-old babies. And I had fallen asleep. So I woke up, and it was not quite the scene that I would like to brag to you about, but here was the scene. There was no babies anymore. Barney was on the screen. Somehow I had curled up with the teddy bear that belongs to my children. And here's what made it even better, is I heard a voice... And, 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 and men, I think, I think you, will, you will understand what I'm saying with this. It wasn't just anybody's voice. I heard my father-in-law's voice. No, I love my father-in-law, but the last thing on the planet I want him to see is to walk in and see me watching Barney curled up on the floor with a teddy bear under my head. That is the last thing that I want to see. So I immediately jumped up, ran downstairs, and he said, hey, is everything okay? And I, my hair was messed up, and I was a little... Uh, rustled and fluffered And I just made up those two words. And um, so I, I just wasn't looking so good. And he said, Hey, you know, is everything okay? I said, Oh yeah, yeah. I was just, um, I was just building something about up there for the kids. You know, I mean, I was, I was just trying to make one of their new toys. And he was like, were you really? I said, no, nah, I was, I fell asleep watching Barney with, uh, with Braley's teddy bear. So anyways, so like I got really tired and I did something really, really dumb. But I found out that the more tired I get and the more stressed I get, eventually I reach this point that we like to call the breaking point. You ever been there like, you just can't handle anything else. One more thing and phew, I'm gone. I'm, I'm over the cliff. Like I cannot handle one more stressor. I cannot handle one more assignment. I cannot handle one more problem. Like I just, I cannot handle this. And guys, I used to really think I knew what it was like to be tired. And I really thought I knew what it was like to be exhausted. And then I had babies and I realized I was a moron for 27 years, 26 years of my life. I had no idea what exhaustion was. And so I asked my wife um, in preparing for this message, I said, what, "What? when have you seen me at my breaking point? Like, when have you seen me just lose it? And she got this really, really big smile. She said, you remember the first time that you watched the girls alone? I said, oh yeah. Yeah, I remember. She said, do you remember what happened? I said, yeah, yeah, I I remember what happened. She said, I think that was probably the most I have ever seen you get to your breaking point. So here's what happens, right? I've got two, at the same time, three-month-old babies. Two three-month-old babies, all right? Three-month-old babies are a lot of work. Can I get an amen? Okay, like everybody who's had kids said amen. Everybody who hasn't was like, they're not that bad. Oh, yes, they are. So I love my kids, don't get me wrong. But so I have two three-month-old babies. And my wife says, hey, I'm going to go to dinner with some friends because she had been working overtime for three months. I said, man, I got this. Like, you go have a great time. I am a grown man. Like, I can do things. Like, I can change the light bulb and I can take care of these girls. Like, I'm a man. I can do anything. And so she leaves and things are going really great. I mean, they are just, they are so smooth. I mean, literally, I mean, it could not have been any easier. They both were sleeping and and it was just great. They were both asleep and I was on the couch. I had Netflix on and I was prepared that the moment that one of them babies woke up, daddy was gonna spring into action. So baby number one breaks up, Braley. She wakes up and immediately I know what to do. I know, I've watched Whitney do this a thousand times. I'm ready, I am prepared, I'm a man. And so I jump up. And I grab her and I change her diaper and I warm up her milk and I feed that baby. And everything's going perfect until the second baby woke up. And so the second baby wakes up and starts to cry. And I'm not like super, like, I, like my wife is one of them. Like I've seen you women, you can hold like four kids and like walk and like go to the grocery store. Like I can handle one. Like I have one here and one with the bottle. I can't handle two. So second baby wakes up and she just starts to lose it. I mean, like, she is not happy. And I'm like, just hold on a second. Like, let me finish this baby. Like, let me, like, I will be right there because I'm thinking with logic because I'm a man and the baby's not thinking with logic. They're thinking, feed me now. And I'm like, just hold on. And so I'm fighting to get this baby to finish her milk. And I think that she's finally got enough, big mistake. I think she's got enough. So I sit her down, pick up baby number two, change her diaper, warm her milk, start to feed her. And what do you think happened? Baby number one got really, really mad. So baby number one starts screaming at me. And I'm like, I just fed you. I did the best I could. Hold on, let me take care of baby number two. So I feed baby number two as much as I can and think that it's enough And I set her down and I go back to baby number one and I pick her up and she's just like losing it now. And then baby number two starts losing it. And then both babies are literally just crying and bawling and I don't know what to do. And I'm just literally holding two babies like this, walking around thinking, surely there's a better way of doing this. Surely I missed something. What in the world is going on? And I literally did what every great man on the planet does when he doesn't know what to do with his kids. He called her their mom. And I said, babe, I love you, but I need you would you please come home? She said, sure, I will leave right now. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And I thought, well, okay, I can make it, 20 minutes. Now, I love my wife, but I don't know if any of you other wives are like this. When my wife says that she's leaving, she's not really leaving, she's just thinking about leaving. So 20 minutes goes by, no mom. 30 minutes go by, no mom. 40 minutes go by, no mom. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty calm guy, but I'm, but I'm losing it here. So I call her, I'm like, hey, hey, hey babe, did you say that you were, you, you were leaving? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 I'm leaving right now. You said that 45 minutes ago. She said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving right now. She said, okay, so I get off the phone and I'm holding these babies and they're screaming and they're crying and my arms are tired because I'm not as strong as I think I am and I'm just really getting stressed out and all this is really starting to build up. 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by, 40 minutes go by, she's still not home. Now, I'm a pretty calm guy most of the time. I don't know if I've ever really gotten angry, angry before. But remember, I'm tired and I'm stressed. So I call my wife, and this was a much different conversation. This was not a conversation I'm proud of, but it's a conversation I will be honest with. She answered that phone and I said, woman, <laughs> if you can't make it home for your husband, you got two babies who need you now. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm like, no, who are you riding with? Put them on the phone. Tell them your husband is losing his mind. So we get off the phone, and guys, I'm gonna be honest. I sat there, and I tried, and I tried. It had been like two and a half hours of this, and I'm just gonna be honest. I finally reached the breaking point, point. and so I'm a, I'm a strong man. I'm, I'm willing to admit this in front of you if you've never done this you're better than me. I'm literally losing my mind. So here's what I do. I put them down. I walked in the other room. I sat down in the feeble position and I just cried. I'm dead serious. I literally just bawled and was like, I cannot handle this. My wife gets home and I'm like wiping tears out of my eyes. And I'm like, I'm so glad you're home. They need you. And she's literally laughing at me. So like, you can't handle two babies for three hours. I'm like, no, I can't. Okay. Let's just admit it and get on with this. But What's your point? My point is, whenever we get really tired and we get really exhausted, eventually what happens is we reach our breaking point and we do some things that we probably wouldn't normally do. And I've even found, at least for me, that a lot of times the things that exhaust me are usually the very things that I ask for. I found in my life that a lot of things that make me really tired are the very things that I ask God for. You know what? I actually ask for kids, but they exhaust me. I'm just gonna be honest, all right? I'm, I'm the one up here, I'm being honest. You don't have to be honest, I'll be honest. I ask for kids and they make me so tired all the time. I love them to death, but they exhaust me. I prayed and asked for a job, God gave me a great job, but a lot of times I get tired at work. I get exhausted by stress, I get exhausted by things, I get exhausted by tension, I get exhausted by so many things that I've asked for. And the thing that I've realized is here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to take the gifts that God has given you, the answers to prayers that he's given you, and he wants to turn those away from God's goodness, and he wants to make them a problem. And so what he will do is he will take the very gifts, the very things that God has blessed you with, and he will use them to exhaust you, to wear you down, to make you feel stressed, to where eventually you look at the very gifts that God gave you, no longer as gifts that you can recognize the grace and goodness of God, but you begin to look at those things as stressors, as tension, as exhaustion, and as things that maybe sometimes you wish you didn't always have to deal with. Because the enemy has learned that if he can distract you, by taking the gifts of God and making them problems that he can wear you down and he can break you down. See, the truth is we all get tired. And I don't just mean like you had a bad night. I mean like you are tired. You were exhausted. I have more conversations throughout the week with people who are just flat out exhausted with what life is doing to them than anything else. Literally, I cannot remember the last time I sat down with somebody and they said, you know what, I got all the energy in the world. Life is going so great. Everything is so good right now. Man, bring it on. I can handle more. I can take on this. Give me something else to do. I'm ready. Every conversation I have says I'm almost to my breaking point. I don't know if I can handle one more thing Things are getting really tough. I try as hard as I can. I'm a hard worker. I love my family, but as soon as I work harder with my family, my work suffers. And as soon as I work harder with my work, my family suffers. And no matter how hard I work, there's just never enough hours in the day. I can't handle one more thing. I love people when we meet and they say, you know what, I used to work for the weekend, but now I'm so busy on the weekend, I'm more tired on Monday than I was on Friday because I'm just exhausted there's so much going on in my life. And, and, and you don't have to admit any of this. I'm just gonna read a few statistics for you. But statistically, most of you are probably feeling a lot of what I'm talking about. Most of you, if not in this moment, have experienced what I'm talking about. A recent survey said that 76% of employees report feeling tired most days of the week. Three fourths of our workforce says that they are tired most days of the week. 97% of Americans have at least one of the leading risk factors associated with chronic fatigue. 97% of us have at least one of the leading risk factors associated with chronic fatigue. How about this, are you stressed? 75% of Americans in a survey done at the end of 2017 are more stressed going into 2018 than they were going into 2017. 75% of Americans are more stressed this year than they were last year. How about this? 40 million adults in the United States of America suffer from anxiety disorders, making it the number one mental illness that we deal with in our country, anxiety disorders. I thought this was interesting because a lot of times we think as adults, because we're the ones dealing with the real problems, that we're the ones who suffer and we're the ones who are struggling with this. But this statistic said that 25% of students between the ages of 13 to 18 suffer from anxiety disorders, and those lead to social issues, they lead to low academic performance, and they also lead to substance abuse. It's pretty interesting that we live in an era with more information than anybody who's ever lived on the face of the planet has. We live in an era where we have created so many things to make our life easier, to give us more free time. I mean, good Lord, we can order from Kroger, show up and they put it in your car. How nice is that? They're just trying to save you time. We have done so many things to save time, save time, save time. But then whenever we look at our lives, we have zero time. We have no more time. I don't believe that this is the way that God intended it. Maybe I'm still young and dumb enough to think that God actually has a better plan for your life and for my life. I I don't think that we were meant to just survive in this world. And my fear is that Christianity is starting to fail because we're just simply trying to survive because we don't know longer how to thrive in our culture. We don't know how to thrive because we don't have any time. We don't know how to thrive because we're just tired. We don't know how to thrive because we're exhausted and we can't handle one more thing. So my question to you is very simple this morning. What is God's response to your exhaustion and to my exhaustion? What does God do in the face of this wall of exhaustion that we feel, this tiredness, this stress that we can't handle anything else? Like what is God's response to those things? And in the story we read, we find this guy named King David. And King David is exhausted. King David is feeling everything that we're feeling and probably some. Because if you don't know anything about King David, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. I'll give you a quick, a quick synopsis of his life. When he was a teenager, a young boy, he goes out and he kills this guy named Goliath. He kills a giant believed to be over nine feet tall as a teenager. And because of that, the king begins to give him all of these um, uh, military opportunities. He gives him military, he gives them armies, he gives them these things. And David goes out and starts winning battle after battle after battle. But eventually Saul, the king, gets jealous of David. And he says, hey, I'm going to kill this guy because everybody thinks he's better than me. So David, who's done nothing wrong, spends years of his life running from the very person that he meant to serve, the very person that he helped because Saul was trying to kill David. Eventually Saul dies and David becomes king. And now he's having to deal with even more wars. He's dealing with even more problems. Now he's dealing with all the issues of the country, the issues of bringing people together together. And then it says that, that he, he sinned and he slept with another man's wife named Bathsheba. And after sleeping with her, the consequence of that sin was the death of his son. And we talk about some stress. But then he goes a little bit further. A few years later, he has another son named Absalom. Absalom grows up and Absalom, his own son, leads a revolt against David. He leads his own people against his father, against their king. And David has to overthrow this revolt, this revolt from his own son. Talk about stress! But then he has even more battles. He has even more wars. In the chapter before what we just read, he went through a famine of three years that he had to lead people through. Guys, he is stressed and he is tired, and now he's in another battle against these people known as the Philistines. And we read this here in uh, in verse fifteen that he's he's fight. He goes down to fight against the Philistines, and it says that he became exhausted. Well, no wonder he was exhausted. This guy had been piling on thing after thing for decades. He's no longer the teenager who defeated Goliath. Most scholars believe he's probably 55 to 65, somewhere in that range. He just can't handle everything that he used to handle. And he is tired and he is exhausted. He has dealt with issue after issue after issue after issue. And now he's here and he's fighting this Goliath. But what I learned whenever we read this verse is we go right to the next one. And then Ishbubanab. One of the descendants of Rapha shows up. Because hear this exhaustion always precedes an attack from a giant. Exhaustion always precedes an attack from a giant. See, Ish-bib-an-ab being a descendant of Rapha meant that he was a giant. When you see that descendant of Rapha, they're referring to the giants who used to walk. Goliath was a descendant of Rapha. ab is a descendant of Rapha. So David is exhausted. Some translations you read, you can find where it says that he was almost to the point of just giving up. I read one uh, scholar's idea of it. He said he was probably almost in a coma. He had probably been hit at this point. He's so tired, he's so exhausted. There's literally no energy that he has left to fight. And at that point, that's when this giant shows up to go and kill David. See, the thing that I found is the enemy is really smart. The enemy won't hit you with a giant when you are full of energy, when you're zealous, when things are going good, when things are going great. What he does is he hits you with little blows. He hits you here and he hits you there and he just slowly starts to break you down to where you're a little bit more tired. Maybe your faith begins to dwindle just a little bit. Maybe you're starting to doubt things just a little bit more and you get a little bit weaker and a little bit weaker and a little bit weaker. And have you ever found that in that moment when you feel like you just can't handle anything else is whenever a giant begins to show up and just smack you in your life? I have. Anytime I start to get tired, anytime I start to feel exhaustion coming into my life, I know that there's a giant that is about to come and attack me because that's the way the enemy works. He gets you exhausted so that he can hit you with a giant. So, what's a giant? A giant is anything that you can't defeat on your own. A giant is anything that you can't defeat on your own. And that looks different for different people. Some of you are facing giants that I'm not having to face. Some of you are facing giants that you may be the only person in this room having to face. But the truth is, in yourself, you don't have the power, the strength to defeat that giant in your life. I don't struggle with a a giant of starvation. God has given me the means and the ability to feed myself. When I'm hungry, I go and I grab something to eat and I'm fine. But there are millions of people on this planet who struggle with that giant because they do not have the means within themselves to be able to provide. Or, or how about this? How about this? We're in America. So, so how about this? We, we deal. One of the issues that we struggle with is self, um, uh, one of the issues we struggle with is self-worth. One of the issues with the giants that we really struggle with time and time again is just not feeling like we add up, not feeling like we're good enough. We look in the mirror and we're disappointed at what we see. We look at our life over the last 40, 50 years, and we're disappointed that we didn't do enough. We look at maybe our kids or our home or different things that we have and we feel like we just don't quite add up to what they have over there. And it hits you time and time and time again. Or how about this? Uh, one of the things that we deal with a lot is fear. And I don't just mean a fear that like you, you just, you're, you're kind of afraid. I mean a fear that grips you. I mean, have you ever been so afraid that you literally can't sleep at night because you just, you just, you're just so afraid of what's going to happen here? You're afraid that something's gonna, someone's going to get after your, your child. You're afraid that you're going to fail at work tomorrow. You're afraid that you've messed up and there's no coming back from it. You're afraid that these people are coming after you for whatever reason. Like, have you ever just been gripped with fear that it cripples you so much? How about this? How about addiction? How about addiction? Addiction is rampant in our country. Addiction to what? Addiction to anything. We struggle more with addiction than maybe anything else. And we tell ourselves that this is the last time. This is it. This is the last time I'm gonna, I know this hurts my body. I know this is destroying my mind. I know this is messing up my relationships. I know that this is wrong and I shouldn't do this. This is the last time. But here you are, struggling again because you don't have the strength to defeat this giant. Let's be very clear about something. Everybody has a giant coming after them. And maybe you're not experiencing it right now, but remember my words, it will come after you because the enemy wants your life. So what do we do whenever we're faced with a giant? Because one of the things that the enemy does is he will distract you with personal battles so that he can destroy you with a giant. The enemy will distract you with personal battles so that he can destroy you with a giant. I love, I love, I don't love. It bothers me how easily distracted the Christian church is. It bothers me how we have allowed so many small, insignificant things to creep into our lives, to creep into our minds, to creep into what we think is important, that we get so distracted by things that have no eternal meaning that we miss the giants that are coming and are destroying our lives and are destroying the lives around us. I'm just going to be really honest. I know I'm going to get some emails, and that's okay. I, I love emails. Send them to me. Let me know what I did wrong, and I'll try to do better next time. But it really bothers me that we are so distracted by things that mean absolutely nothing. I mean, honestly, we are the people who have been called, who have been commissioned, who have been given a purpose by God and the things that hurt us, the things that bother us, the things that distract us are things like this. Somebody said something mean about me and so now it's gonna be my life's mission to figure out why they said that. Who cares? We get distracted by comparison. We spend so much time trying to compete with the Joneses that we miss the giants that are coming in our lives. Can I be really honest, really brutally honest? We spend a lot of time on social media. Christians, man, man, we gotta make sure people know. They need to know what's going on in the world. Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what this, did you hear what this, I mean, we spend so much time, and guys, you artic, we, we all articulate some great opinions on social media, can I just be really brutally honest? I wish we cared more and had more passion for getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world than we did to let everybody know our political opinions of what's going on right now. We are so distracted. I could say a myriad of things. I'm not gonna say because then this is all you remember at the end of this message, but I could say a couple of names right now and everybody in the room would, whoop. I could say president, and half of you would be like, oh, this, this, that, that. And it's okay to be informed. But we are so distracted by so many things that are so meaningless to the, to, to the eternity that we're living for, that we are missing the giants that are right in front of us. And I wonder, I don't wonder, I... I I can see a world that's falling away when there's a church that God has built, that God has commissioned, that God has put to be a beacon on a hill and we miss it day after day after day because we're so distracted with meaningless things and there are giants destroying the people in our lives. So when there's a giant in your life, when there's a giant in somebody else's life, what does God do? What is God's response? God's response is in the face of a giant, God sends an Abishai. God sends an Abishai. The scripture we read, David, he, he, he's sitting there and he's fighting. He's exhausted. He can't handle anything else. He has no more energy. And then this giant named Ishbubanab comes up. And in one translation, it says that he had backed David all the way into a corner. He's about to slay the king. He's about to kill their leader. He's about to wipe out the lamp of Israel all in one foul swoop. And in that moment, God's response is to send Abishai to come and save the day. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I want some Abishai's in my life. Now, I go through some things where I want an Abishai to come and to save me, to come and swoop in at the last second, because man, Abishai's are awesome. You see, but in Hebrew, Abishai means something really interesting it means a gift from God. In Hebrew, Abishai means a gift from God. So, in the face of a giant, God sends a gift. And God, in his his infinite wisdom, has the ability and the power to send gifts in whatever way he wants. But you know his favorite way to send a gift? It's through the form of a person. God's favorite way of rescuing people is through the form of somebody else. You see, God sent a gift named Abishai to come and save David right at at his most opportune time when he needed it in his darkest hour. God sent a gift from himself named Abishai to come and save the day. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it really interesting that the king is about to die, his enemies are all around him, his, this giant is about to kill him, and there's only one person who comes to save him. Just one. I mean, is it, I mean, am I just really, really naive to think that if the king's about to be killed by a giant, that the entire army should swoop in and save the day? Where are all the other warriors at? Where are all the other generals? Where are all the people commissioned, not just to fight the Philistines, but to protect their king? Where are they in this moment? And scripture doesn't explicitly say this, but it's easily inferred. They're busy battling their own fights that their king is about to be killed by a giant and there's nobody there to save them because they are so distracted, they are so busy, they have so many other things to worry about that they don't even have the attention, the availability or the time to see that there's somebody who they care for who's about to die, except for Abishai. God sends Abishai, a gift in the form of a person to come and to save David. And here's the truth of what I'm trying to get at. Is we all want to be David. I want to be David. I want to have all of the the glory. I want to have all of the nice things. I want to be able to sit on my throne. I want to be able to go out and fight. And then I want Abishai's to come save me every time I need me. But guess what? God hasn't called us to be David's. God has called us to be Abishai's in the world. We're called to be gifts from God. We are called to be light in dark places. We are called to seek and to save the lost. But so many times we're unable to do it because we're distracted and we're tired and we're stressed and we're exhausted and we can't handle anything else. And if Abishai hadn't been the one person to go and save David, his story would have ended right there. My fear is that in Christianity, what we've done is we've made the gospel less about Jesus and less about his desires and his will. And we've made the gospel more about us and our desires and our will and what we wanna get out of God. And the truth is God didn't call you for you. God called you and he called me to be Abishized in the world, to go out and to save those who are facing giants that they cannot defeat on their own. So how do I kill a giant? I read this and I find four extremely easy criteria. I find that there are four criteria to killing a giant. And I I love Abishai, because he didn't come up with a big, crazy plan. He didn't have all kinds of smart things. He just acted. He just jumped into it. And the first thing I see is you have to have time. You have to have time to go out and kill a giant. Abishai was the only person out of the entire army. It wasn't that he wasn't fighting. It wasn't that he wasn't battling. It was that he somehow made time to go out and defend David when David couldn't defend himself. Maybe the best thing we could do as a church is we could make some margin in our lives. Maybe the best thing we could do is we could create some time so that we have the availability to help people when they're in need. Maybe the best, most impactful thing you could do is say no to a few things. I've had to do this. I've had to do this recently. I've had to quit a lot of things because I just don't have any more time. And if God is calling us to be Abishai's, I know this is so simple. I know this is so rudimentary, but all you have to start doing is making some margin and some time in your life. I had a mentor tell me one time. He said, you make time for the things that are important to you. And he was right. The Cavaliers are playing tonight. I will have time for that. I will. Tomorrow, I'm gonna get lunch with my wife and my girls. I have a busy day, I will make time for that because it's important to me. I will make time for the things that are important. When will becoming Abishai to the people in your life become important enough to make time? What will it take in your life? And I'm asking because everybody's different. What are the things that you need to start eliminating today to start, to start freeing up some time to be Abishai. The second thing that we find is Abishai had courage. I mean, he had to have tremendous courage, did he not? I mean, to see a giant about to kill his king and he surely had to fight through the enemy. He had to fight through different battles. He had to push people aside. He probably had to slay some Philistines as he was getting there, but he kept pushing through and he kept pushing through and he got there and he didn't have time to think. He didn't have time to prepare. He didn't have time to make a plan. He just whack struck the Philistine and he killed him. What tremendous courage he had to have. And truth about being Abishai is, is you have to have courage. We all have to have courage. Maybe you've never faced this giant that they're going up against. Maybe you have no idea what you're going to do. Maybe you don't have a plan. Maybe you don't think you have the strength. But if you could be an Abishai for somebody else, God will give you the strength if you just have the courage. You see, because the thing about David is we look at David and we say, hey, I want to be David because David had an Abishai come and save him. But don't forget that the giant that David killed was not intended for David. The giant that David killed was intended for Saul. So there was a, a giant named Goliath who came out and said, I wanna fight your champion, who was Saul, and if I kill him, then you will serve us, but if he kills me, then we will serve you. And David, who's out in the fields, a shepherd boy shows up, and when Saul can't defeat the giant that's in front of him, God sends a gift. He sends an Abishai to Saul in the form of a person named David. And now David is facing a giant intended for him, and whenever he can't defeat this giant, God sends a gift for David in the form of Abishai. I don't think that there's any stronger way to be in the will of God than whenever you're willing to fight somebody else's giant on their behalf. I don't think there's anything more we could do to be Christ-like than be willing to fight for somebody else who doesn't have the strength or ability to do it on their own. I think that being an Abishai, you have to have time, but I think you also have have to have courage. The third thing you have to have is faith. Wow, what tremendous faith did Abishai have because he served the same God that David did. He knew David killed a giant, I can kill a giant. So, So Abishai has this incredible faith that he runs so quickly and he shows up and he says, even it's not that God has just the ability to defeat this giant, but God is going to defeat this giant. See, I found in my own life, I believe that God has the ability to do some incredible things, but my life doesn't look like I believe he's actually going to do them. If you were to ask me, is God going to do this? I will say yes every single time. But in actuality, my life doesn't actually look like I believe that, I just believe that in my mind. You see, having faith is more than just believing that God has the ability to. Having faith means that what he did on the cross was enough. That when he died, he died so that I would have life and it would be life abundantly. That I wouldn't just have a life to survive in, but God died so that I could thrive. He already defeated every obstacle that you come against and that I come against. And so having faith means that the victory has already been won. So it's not that I just believe that it's been won, but I live as if it's been won. That's faith face to go and attack a giant. And the fourth thing is action. Abishai had no time to make a plan. He had no time to look and see, what does the Hebrew say? What does the Greek say? What does my favorite pastor think about this? What does my favorite, he didn't have any time. He looked and he saw somebody in need and he ran. He acted in the moment. I'm gonna tell you something. Actions do not have to be that complicated. They don't. They really don't. In my life as a teenager, there was a battle. There was a a giant that that came against my family. And remember, I'm in a pastor's home, and I have a great family, and I have great parents. But what we did in a pastor's home was we didn't talk about our problems because we were pastor's kids and pastor's families. And you just deal with it internally because people need to see that you're trusting God, that you love him, that he's good, that he's faithful. People look up to you. So my parents were struggling. They're good now, but they were genuinely struggling on the cusp of divorce. And we weren't allowed to talk about it. We weren't allowed to do anything. Wasn't allowed to go ask for help. Wasn't allowed to go and seek prayer for things. It was just that they are struggling. They are literally about to get a divorce and I'm not allowed to do anything with this. They are facing a giant and I had no idea what to do. So I came up with the dumbest plan ever. I said, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for my mom and dad. And every time they get in an argument, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do something to serve them. Honestly, honestly, I have no idea what I'm doing. And my parents get in an argument, and I go and just start cleaning dishes. My parents get in an argument, and I go cut the grass. My parents get in an argument, and I just start cleaning up. My parents get in an argument, and I start trying to do laundry, which I was terrible at. Why? Why? Because I made up my mind that they were not going to face this alone. And any small action I could do to let them know that I was fighting alongside of them, I was going to do. You know, my parents are good now. About 14 years ago, all this happened. I'm in college, probably a junior. And my dad calls me and he says, hey, son, I want to take, take a moment. Just let you know me and your mom are good. great dad it's awesome he said I know you've been praying for us I said you're right dad I have been praying and I said I want you to know that every single time we got in an argument we noticed what you went and did we noticed that you cared enough to get up and go clean dishes just because we were in an argument we noticed that you cared enough to go up and clean up after a dog just because we were in an argument we noticed that you cared enough to go do laundry and we want you to know that we felt God every time that you did that and my dad the greatest giant killer I've ever seen thanked me and said, thank you for fighting for us when we didn't know how to fight for ourselves. I'm not saying that to say that I'm great. I'm saying that to say actions do not have to be complicated. You can make a difference in somebody's life if you're just willing to get in the fight and do something to help to be Abishai. The next thing I learned that I'll I'll quickly tell you here is that, that heroes don't just kill giants, they create a generation of giant killers. Heroes don't just kill giants, they create a generation of giant killers. If you skip ahead to verse 20, it talks about this giant who had 12 fingers and 12 toes. And it says that this guy came, this guy named Jonathan, and Jonathan's the one who killed this giant. And it says it was the son of Shimia, who was David's brother. Jonathan is David's nephew. And this is the only place I could find that he's mentioned in the entire Bible. And I find it interesting that they they thought it's so important to say, hey, just so you know, this is David's nephew. Because David used to be the one fighting giants. And now Abishai has jumped up and fought a giant. And other men are jumping up and fighting giants. But just so you know, there's another generation of giant killers that is rising to the occasion who is willing to go out and fight. And let me tell you something real quickly. It is all of our jobs and goals is to raise a generation of giant killers. I love my little girls, they are incredible. They do so many awesome things, but they are not just gonna grow up just to survive through life. They are growing up to kill and to slay giants on behalf of everybody they come in contact with because it is my responsibility to raise a giant killer. You wanna know, they will never know how to be giant killers the next generation if they haven't seen you do it first. A generation of giant killers will not grow up because you just hoped for it. A generation of giant killers comes from seeing you do it in their life. So I've already made up my mind that as many giants as I can kill on behalf of my girls, I'm going to do it. Man, I'm going to protect them. I'm a man. They're dad. And so me and my wife prayed, and I said, what are the three biggest giants you think our little girls are going to face? And here's what she said. She said, image or identity, self-worth, and purpose. Those are pretty big giants that I would say most teenage girls struggle with. And so here's what we said. They're 18 months old, and here's what I do every day. Again, action is just something. It's not, it doesn't have to be great. I pick up my girls, and every day I look at them, and these are the three words I tell them. You are stunning, you are brilliant, and you are called. Every single day they hear these three words, I am stunning, I am brilliant, and I am called. Because here's the truth, whenever that giant comes up and it tells them that they're not worth it, that they're not pretty enough, that they're too dumb, that they can't achieve anything, that they're worthless, that their life is meaningless, they're going, are you kidding me? I am brilliant, I am stunning, I am called. My life has a purpose because I am not just trying to raise some little girls, I'm trying to raise some giant killers and it is all of our responsibilities to raise them. Your kids, my kids, the next generation. The next thing I want you to get is in uh, your ninth point there is we are in a battle for life and death. And there's a weapon specifically designed for the people in your life. I've been asked all week, what prop are you bringing? Because I'm the prop guy apparently. So I did. I brought a prop. Prop. Because Ishbi-benob in verse 16, one of the descendants of Rapha, was armed with a new sword. And in some of your translations, it says that that sword was specifically designed for David. So this giant shows up, and he has a sword that he's been working on for a while. He has a sword that he was been preparing for. When David was in the palace, when David was hanging with his friends, when David was spending time with his family, when David was prepping for battle, he had no idea that this giant was coming, but this giant knew that he was coming for David. And so we created a weapon specifically designed to kill David. And the truth is, is we are fighting a real war. There's a spiritual war going on that maybe sometimes we don't like to talk about, but there's a spiritual war going on right now. And there are weapons the enemy is designing specifically to kill the people that we love. It's just the truth. So here's what it looks like for me. Because if the enemy comes after me, I'm fine. But when the enemy comes after my family, that's a different story. So for me... When I get honest and I realize that there's a weapon designed specifically to kill the people I love, I realize that there's a weapon specifically designed to come after my wife named Whitney. And if my honesty and transparency bothers you, I'm really sorry. So here's what this looks like for us. A few months ago, my wife got attacked by a weapon I didn't see coming. I came home, and we talked. My wife began to just break down in tears. Here's what she said, and I never in a million years would have thought this. She said, Joseph, why am I such a terrible mom? She said, why am I not good enough? Like, why, like why, why do I keep failing so many times? Like, God trusted me with these girls, and I just feel like I'm letting them down, and I feel like I'm letting you down. And here's where this message was born out of. Whenever she began to share that with me, God told me that's not her giant to kill, it's mine. Because people are facing giants that God has called you to kill. God specifically spoke in that moment. He said, I put you as a gift in her life so that when this giant came up against her, you would be the one to slay it. So remember, I'm all about action, so I don't have a lot of smart ideas. But what that looked like was, "Babe, hey, do, you, do you need more time? I'll, I will be home more. I will, I will be home this evening and this evening I will be home in the mornings. What, what, what else do you need? Do you need date night again? We haven't done date night in a long time. Let's do date nights. Let's bring date nights back into it. You know what? Every single morning I'm going to send you a text or I'm going to call you. I'm just going to let you know you're a great mom. You're killing it. You're crushing it. Because here's the truth is God has entrusted me to be a gift for her to fight on her behalf. And there are people in your life right now who are struggling, who are facing giants. And if you're not willing to make time to have courage, to have faith, and to be willing to act, they may lose the battle of their life when the entire time the gift that God had for them was sitting right beside them. So I don't know who it is. Maybe maybe there's some wives that they have a husband named Steve. There's a weapon specifically designed for him. Husbands, there's a, there's a weapon specifically designed for your wives, maybe Sarah. Your kids, there's a weapon specifically designed to kill them. Your coworkers, there's a weapon specifically designed to kill them. And here's the truth you are the answer to kill that giant. You are, you're the gift from God that he's called you to be. So I wonder what would happen. I'm, I'm just, God, I'm naive again. I, I wonder what would happen if, if, if here, in just a few moments, whenever the worship band comes up, if maybe, just, if, if maybe some spouses looked at each other and said, I just want you to know I'm in this with you. Maybe I haven't been there enough. Maybe I've been a little too busy. Maybe I don't even know what you're going up against. But I want you to know that this, this battle, this weapon, it's going to have to go through both of us to take you because we are in this together. I married you, I chose you, and we are going to fight until this enemy has been defeated because I believe that God has called me to more than just surviving. And I believe that God has called you to more than just surviving. I wonder what would happen if, 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 if our kids, if the next generation rose up and said, Mom and Dad, you don't have to fight this alone. Kids at school, you don't I don't have to fight this alone. God has put me here with a purpose and with a calling. Or what would happen if we walked into work and said, you know what, I don't even like this job. I don't even like what I'm doing, but God put me here to be a gift for somebody and nobody's gonna lose their soul on my watch because God has put me here to be an Abishai and maybe I'm tired and maybe I'm exhausted, but I'm gonna make some time. I'm gonna push some things away because it matters to me that souls that are lost are found, that people come to know the power and the truth of Jesus Christ and his word is so incredible that I will do whatever it takes because you don't have to fight alone. I will be Abishai, I will be your gift even when you can't fight what do you think would happen? it would be remarkable see destinies are changed not whenever we fight for ourselves destinies are changed whenever we fight for the people that God's given us that's how destinies and lives are changed so you have a connect card there we want to take a few bold steps there if you look and you, as we're bringing this to an end and the band's getting ready to help us close and, and next bold step A, you have, you have one of our favorite bold steps. It's today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And you say, you know what, I don't, I don't really know this, there's Jesus, you keep talking about this power, you keep talking about this incredible guy, I, I don't know who this Jesus is. You don't have to leave here the same. You can come to know Jesus this morning and it is incredible, it'll radically change your life. Or maybe bold step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We believe this is the next step. We believe that whenever you find Jesus and you receive this thing we call salvation, which is really just a relationship with him, the next thing you do is you get baptized. Is It's an outward sign of the inner work to say, in Jesus, I have new life in him. How about this? Bold step C, I will pray and ask the Lord who he's called me to be an Abishai to. Maybe right now you don't know. You are so tired, you are so exhausted, and that's okay, but you have no idea who God's called you to be an Abishai to. This is, hey, I'm gonna pray and ask God who I'm supposed to be Abishai to. Or bold step D, I will eliminate some things from my life so I can be an Abishai. This is, I will make some margin. I will say no to some things. I will quit a few things if I have to. I will remove a few things from my life because God has called me to be an Abishai to the people that I love. Or bold step E, I will pray that God will give me the courage and the faith to be an Abishai for the people in my life. I will pray that God will give me the courage and the faith to be an Abishai for the people in my life. If you put your connect card to the side, we'll get ready to uh, receive our offering this morning. And as the the ushers get ready and the band gets ready, (coughs) guys, we are called. Everybody in this room has a purpose. Everybody's been called to go out and share the gospel. Everybody's been called to be warriors. Everybody in this room has been called to be Abishai. And I want to challenge you this week as we go into a time of worship that you would really begin to pray, really begin to soak in on that and say, am I so tired and so exhausted that I'm missing the very people that God has called me to? And as we go into worship and as we get ready to take up offering, I wonder if God will begin to put some things on your heart that you can do today. Some actions you can start right now that may seem meaningless to you, but a person who's backed into a corner and has no more strength to fight will change their world. I wonder if God will begin to give you those things. And as we take up our offering, once again, we wanna thank you for being generous. We wanna thank you for being a part of this church where God has given us unique abilities to reach families in our community, unique abilities to be Abishized at New Life Mission, to be Abishized in India, to be abishized right here in Westchester. So we thank you for that. Will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you that you always send a gift in the form of a person. God, we thank you that, God, you sent Abishai to save David. And God, we thank you that many of us have experienced Abishai's in our life. God, our prayer as we walk out of here that, God, God, you would, God, you would put some passion within us. God, if there are some things we need to move out of the way, we would move those out of the way. God, I pray that you would enable us. You would give us courage. You would give us faith. God, we would act because God, there are people that are dying every single day. Their souls are lost and it's your will that everybody would come to the power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that you would enable us, God. I pray that you would give us passion. I pray that we would go out and be abysheized to the world. God, I pray for our offering this morning. God, I pray that you would anoint every cent that's given. God, we know that every cent that's given in this room is given because there are people who believe in who you are. They believe in what you're doing. They believe in your power. They believe in your will. And so God, anoint it. God, let us be a church that is light in dark places. Let us continue to be a church that reaches our community all the way out to the four corners of the earth. And God, we will thank you. We'll give you praise and give you glory on in your name. Amen.